Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It's 11.10 p.m. on June the 9th, 2006. Hope you're doing well. I wanted to try a little something this evening. I picked up a Globe and Mail newspaper, which is at uh, globeandmail.com, I think. It is sort of the Canadian equivalent of the New York Times. It's the highbrow newspaper, and I used to subscribe to it quite regularly. But, of course, over the last year or two, I've tried to uh, not read too much media uh, because, you know, for the same reason that you don't want to read nothing but Mein Kampf and the Bible, because it makes you despair for the race and, <laughs> you know, it can help puncture the optimism that I feel is sort of part of my nature around freedom. But what, what I think would be interesting just to look at from an outside sort of experimental standpoint would be to say, let's look at the newspaper and see how many stories are associated with the state and how many stories are not associated with the state. And we'll do this just in sort of two areas. You could do it in just about all areas, but I won't test your patience with that. And we'll do it in the business section, and we'll do it in the main section, and we'll just have a couple of comments on it, because I think it's important to understand where the the general population is coming from in terms of their understanding of how the world works. Right? They get the most of it from the media, from the newspapers, and to some degree news and so on. But I think it's important to understand when we're talking to people just what kind of sea they're swimming in mentally. You stop your average fish and you say, what uh, temperature is the water? They'd say, uh, what water, right? I mean, you and I don't go around usually and say, my God, there's a lot of air around me at the moment because it's just something that is part of our a daily existence, and because it's so consistent and such a, a sort of singular picture that we are singular sensation, we don't really notice it anymore. And I think it would be interesting to look at this, right? So the free media and so on is a general idea. I think it's interesting to have a look at, and I won't, um, I haven't really looked at this newspaper in any great detail, I just looked at the cover. But what we'll do is we'll flip through, and you can try this with just about any newspaper that you pick up. Just have a look and see how much of it is about the government and how much is it about the um, the non-government aspects of society, just so that you can understand that I'll sort of make the case here that when we're talking about the media, we're talking about a state media, right? media about the state, and media um, re- entirely related to the activities of the state. And I've made arguments as to why that is the case in other podcasts, but I just think it's an important thing to look at. I don't think I'll be able to resist making a few comments about the contents of the stories, but I absolutely will try and keep those to a minimum. So, on the front page, this is the Globe and Mail, globeandmail.com, Friday, June the 9th, 2006. So, of course, the cover story is A Severe Blow to Al-Qaeda. Twin 225-kilogram bombs bring an end, bring to an end three-year U.S. hunt for Iraq's most wanted insurgent. And the opening, we'll just read the opening paragraph or two, and I'll just give you a sense of where, how it lands for uh, our Muslim friends. A key element of Iraq's insurgency was dealt a heavy blow yesterday when two 225-kilogram bombs dropped by a U.S. F-16 warplanes slammed into a simple, a simple two-story building northeast of Baghdad, killing Abu Musab al-Zakai and six others. The death of Mr. al-Zakai was immediately hailed as a major victory for the White House's war on terror. The Jordanian-born militant was the leader of al-Qaeda in Iraq, part of the foreign fighter wing of the insurgency, and the angry face of those willing to resort to any means to drive the U.S. military out of the country. Believed to have carried out at least two beheadings himself, he masterminded the killings of hundreds of people, most of them civilians, in a string of suicide bombings and kidnappings across Iraq. 
U.S. President George Bush was visibly pleased when he spoke in the White House. Rose Garden about Mr. Zarqawi's death. Zarqawi's death is a sublime blow to al-Qaeda. It is a victory in the global war on terror, and it is an opportunity for Iraq's new government to turn the tide of this struggle. Now, I'm not going to go any further. I mean, this is the same sort of nationalistic, uh, horrifying stuff that you get whenever people talk about war from the sides of the aggressors. And so I would like to, I'll just sort of do this on the fly, but I'd like you to sort of cast your mind back about, uh, I guess, three and a half, four years to September 11, 2001, and see if you can see how it might have been um, reported if it had been uh, from the other side, right? I mean, from the side who hate uh, U.S. foreign policy. So... Here, a severe blow to al-Qaeda could be reframed as a severe blow to U.S. foreign policy. And here, because, you know, they're they're aiming for the the Pentagon, and they were aiming for the Twin Towers, the financial and and military might, and so on. And so here, um, the first paragraph could read from sort of September 11, 2001, the day after, a key element of U.S. foreign policy power was dealt a heavy blow yesterday when a number of planes... Um, flew into uh, uh, American uh, buildings, uh, killing uh, 3,500 people. The death of these people was immediately hailed as a major victory by Osama bin Laden uh, for uh, to liberate his country. And this, uh, the, the, some of the people who were killed were part of the uh, military-industrial complex through which the America attempts to uh, overthrow uh, foreign governments. And, of course, uh, some of the people who were killed uh, in the Pentagon were master- had masterminded the coups of other countries and so on. So if, uh, and then, can you imagine in the third paragraph that saying uh, that um, uh, Osama bin Laden was visibly pleased when he spoke in a tape uh, from somewhere in Afghanistan where he says, uh, this, uh, this uh, retaliatory attack on America is a severe blow to its foreign policy credibility. It is a victory in the global war for independence from U.S. aggression, and it is an opportunity for the American people to wake up to the horrors that the governments are perpetrating overseas. <laughs> Can you imagine if that were the statements that were made uh, after September 11th uh, about this. Of course, it would be considered to be absolutely appalling, uh, moral cowardice and viciousness and uh, of the worst order. And I absolutely guarantee you, uh, probably in less than a generation, all of the people who write this kind of stuff will be looked at as a absolutely appalling uh, moral horrors. So, of course, this is all government stuff, right? This is all the uh, stuff to do with uh, the war on terror. And so that is the, um, uh, that is the, the first sort of story. Now, the second one is Empty Chairs, Angry Youths, and Ignominy. And uh, this is the opening paragraph. is It was meant to be a hero's farewell for the man who has led the blood-soaked insurgency against the U.S. occupation of neighboring Iraq. See, occupation or not, invasion and so on. Instead, it served as a testament as to how far Abu Musab al-Sakawi had sunk even in the eyes of those he grew up with. So the bloodlust is out. And, of course, this is all about the guy getting killed as well. And then we have another story on the front page, which is uh, this guy, David Ahanakau, conviction for promoting hatred was overturned yesterday, and a new trial was ordered by a judge who questioned whether the former Aboriginal leader willfully intended to spread hate when he told a reporter that Jews were a disease. Chief Justice Robert Lang of the Saskatchewan Court of Queen's Bench said the lower court judge who convicted this gentleman, and fined him $1,000 last summer, erred by not taking into account whether the comments were made spontaneously and in anger. Right, so this is a, a court conviction, obviously, the, the state. 
and then there's a bunch more stuff to do with uh, the terror raids, and then there's uh, three little things here, which is uh, the premier's meeting on the federal federal equalization programs ends amid bickering, finger-pointing, and even name-calling, which is a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> the next one is, developers close to Quebec Premier Jean Charest stand to make millions from the privatization of a ski hill in Mount Orford National Park, documents reveal. And here, uh, the national broadcasting, uh, the national broadcaster here is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC. Um, CBC sportcast, sportscaster Brian Williams, who said this week that he will join rival CTV, has been abruptly fired. And, of course, this is a government agency here that he is uh, being uh, fired from. So that's, uh, here is, uh, that's the first page, right? So, I mean, we'll sort of go along this fairly speedily, but I think you'll sort of get the idea. So here, the A2, right, this is the second page, reopen autism case, Ontario asks court. The Ontario government is seeking to reopen a major court of appeal case involving special treatment for autistic children, claiming that an expert witness has undergone a dramatic change of heart about the costs associated with treatment. So I'm sure that's uh, fully understandable as a a state issue. Uh, And also here we have Homolka name change rejected. So this is this uh, crazy Carly Curls woman who, uh, with her boyfriend, uh, murdered a whole bunch of uh, women. Um, She's failed in her latest attempt to change her name. This is, of course, all to do with the government. Government allows... The, um, the name change to go on. And here we have um, Mountain of Fire. This is A3. Mountain of Fire belches scalding gas lava. Survivors of Java's May 27th earthquake fled in panic yesterday when huge clouds of scalding gas and streams of lava were expelled from Mount Merapi, Indonesia's most active volcano. Uh, weeping mothers with children in their arms fought to get onto tra- trucks as families packed onto mopeds to stream down the mountainside after a series of deafening explosions set off gas clouds at about 8 a.m. And, uh, of course, it says government officials said 3,500 people had abandoned their homes and so on. Of course, a lot of this stuff is government uh, interviewed and so on. So that's sort of partial government stuff. I mean, it's government response to a uh, natural disaster. All right. So, Premier's bid for unity turns to acrimony. Shocking, I know. Uh, this doesn't smell like team spirit. It's a big analysis of the, the premiers who are all getting here to discuss how best to pillage the taxpayers. And here, know when to fold them, Mr. Levine. This is John Ibbotson's column where he says, Raymond Levine should have resigned yesterday, but Raymond Levine is a senator, and senators are hard to get rid of. So it's a question of whether the senator should stay. Of course, this, these three articles all entirely to do with the state. In fact, I would say that the only free market stuff or private stuff we've come so far along is the ads. Now, here we have a Chere supporter could be could benefit in park deal. This is the thing from the front. And here, a Canada in brief, we have uh, leadership hopefuls using public offices. A number of liberals are using taxpayer-funded parliamentary offices to promote party leadership bids and would break federal election laws if they fail to refund the public purse. That's all state stuff. Air India inquiry set to open June 21st, Ottawa, all uh, to do with the government. This is uh, around the 1985, it's almost it's over 20 years now. The judicial inquiry into 1985, Air India bombing will open June 21st. This uh, has been going on for over 20 years and has cost more than $20 million. Murder suspect completes psychiatric evaluation. The court-ordered psychiatric assessment of a man accused of murdering three members of a southern Alberta family is complete. Blah, blah, blah. So this is all to do with uh, state evidence and state courts. 
And then uh, Environment Canada, a state agency, has released this as the spring is the warmest on record data show. The spring of 2006 has been the warmest in Canada since record keeping began in 1948, according to preliminary data from Environment Canada. So, of course, that's all to do with, with the state and state agencies. And here we have another article, uh, A7. I'm going to skip the one about this uh, racist, uh, God, this anti-Semitic uh, or potentially anti-Semitic native leader. Here we have native salmon rights upheld. Restrictive fishing policy does not violate the Charter BC Court of Appeal rules. A federal government policy that restricts commercial salmon fishing to native people during specific periods is a legitimate political choice and does not violate the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The BC Court of Appeal ruled yesterday. All uh, state stuff about whether uh, the uh, natives can can fish or not. And uh, here we have a wiretap access bill to be revoked. The Conservative government will revive plans to require telecommunications companies to build in increased access for internet and telephone wiretaps with a bill that will probably be tabled in the fall. Again, uh, this is, uh, of course, the um, uh, state uh, prying on citizens. Authorities confronted wall of silence. Uh, CSIS RCMP briefed Muslim leaders before going public with news of arrests. It may have been the most politically correct terrorism bust in history. This is all about how uh, this stuff was. Uh, these these Muslims were were apprehended. These suspects. The next one it is all A8. Ottawa wants to involve China in terrorism fight. Move planned as Canada assumes helm of global financial action task force. So this, of course, is uh, Ottawa trying to get uh, China to become a full participant in the war on terror. Because of course, there's nothing terrifying about being a victim of the Chinese government. Uh, page A9. Arrests linked to alleged plot in Canada stun UK community. Canadian extradition hearings anticipated for British Pakistani citizen Abed Khan. Right. So is the government going to expel them or not? Again, it's all state stuff. Um, on the same page, Muslim groups call for a summit on youth. And uh, that six Islamic groups are asking Canadian politicians to help them arrange a meeting of community organizations, youth groups, and imams in an effort to prevent the radicalization of young people. And the beautiful thing is that they're really only interested in non-radicalizing the younger people. They're certainly not interested in taxpayers' funny, uh, money. So here we have uh, Stalwart of the Christian Right criticizes Canada. So this is a report from somewhere in the States. This is page A10. Republican John Hostetler said yesterday that reports of alleged terrorist activity in Toronto illustrate why border security must be tightened. It is fair to say that the Canadian border is virtually unguarded. Republican John Hostetler. So, of course, this is complaints about the America from the Americans about the Canadian border. And here, let's. Uh, there's a big article on how uh, UK terrorists can go and buy bomb materials. This stuff is just easy to buy in this day and age. Terrorists can go shopping for material in the aisles of any local hardware store. So, of course, they'll start banning that stuff relatively soon. And then, here is a, uh, another article. We're on page A15. This is uh, uh, a Stockwell Day, Public Safety Minister Stockwell Day, speaks at a security conference in Ottawa yesterday. He said a stolen SUV can be worth $95,000 overseas, and he says that helps finance terrorism. Because he's recently become a public safety minister, so of course he's fully up on international finance and money laundering and car thefts. So he's not just sort of throwing stuff around. I'm sure he knows exactly what he's talking about. Uh, terrorists are getting into the car theft business to finance their activities because the profits are so high, Public Safety Minister Stockwell Day says, blah, blah, blah. So again, this is a, a uh, guy uh, talking 
about uh, enough stuff he doesn't know I have any clue about, of course, but of course this is uh, reports from the government. So, so far, we're batting a thousand. It's all, all government stuff. A beheading, now part of lexicon of terror. This week's claim that Stephen Harper's head had been coveted as a terrorist trophy reveals a deeper, darker, and possibly more disturbing revelation about society. The decapitation of an enemy is now an inescapable aspect of world violence, unlike taxation. Said, he didn't say unlike taxation, said Mark Viederman, former chief strategist at the McLuhan Program in Culture and Technology. So, of course, that is another uh, uh, issue. Uh, this is a state-funded think tank, I am 99% sure. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff about uh, going to kill this guy, mourning and praise from ranks of Hamas. And uh, uh, let's have a look at the world in brief. Uh, let's see what we have here. Oh, Lord, there's an, uh, an article here from Tehran uh, with a guy named Ahmadinejad, um, <laughs> evasive about nuclear talks. Let's just call him Iran's president. said yesterday that his regime is ready for talks on its nuclear capabilities, but he has sent mixed signals on how much is open for negotiation and hinted Tehran has the upper hand in its showdown with the West, right? So it's government to government. Secular Somali warlords push backwards towards capital, Mogadishu. Warlords driven out of Mogadishu by an Islamist militia are advancing back towards the capital from the last stronghold of Jauhar. Right, so this is all state stuff, or it's potential state stuff. Refugees being replaced by the displaced, UN says, in a highly comprehensible sentence. NATO confirms expansion in south southern Afghanistan. Nepal's top rebel warns of another revolution. Tigers reject EU monitors' delegation from Colombo. I'm sure they just uh, uh, mauled them. So, of course, this is all state stuff as well. Let's have a look at the next page. Uh, under fire, Moscow looks at resigning as TTC chair. Okay, this is all gripping stuff that you want to know about. Um, the uh, Toronto Transport Commission, which is our publicly uh, run uh, subway and bus system, uh, this guy is the, uh, uh, is the uh, chairman. With the Toronto Transit Commission in crisis and some blaming the blame, uh, some placing the blame at the feet of its combative chairman Howard Moscow, the longtime local politician said yesterday he is thinking of stepping aside, but not yet. And then you have pictures of a couple of cops here, drive by shooting wounds three, and then you have another. So this is all state stuff. Officer cursed teen before shooting. Inquest told, a policeman slapped Jeffrey. Riotica's head and called him a vulgar name moments before he shot the fleeing <laughs> fleeing seventeen year old in the back, the slain youth friend told the coroner's inquest yesterday. He testified that the officer's actions were so frightening that he believed the man was related to three white teens Mr Riotica's angry friends had been chasing in a bit at revenge on may twenty first, two thousand four. So again that's all uh, state stuff. So so far we're getting up to a21, and here we uh, see all of this stuff to do with, um, uh, with, uh, with the state. Now, here we have health, uh, hormones, and cancer. So let's have a look here. We may actually have some non-state stuff here. Uh, so the first one is the face you'd spot first in a crowd is... When you walk into a crowded room, it is uh, who is the uh, first person likely to catch your eye? A team of U.S. and Australian scientists ran a series of experiments in which they showed men and women images of angry faces mixed in, mixed in with other facial expressions. The results revealed that angry male visages are spotted more rapidly than angry female faces by both men and women. They are, all, they also, they are also noted more quickly than faces of either gender expressing fear, happiness, or sadness. 
So uh, let's have a look here, down, down, down. Ah, holds positions at both the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the University of Melbourne. Now, I am not entirely sure that that's publicly funded or privately funded, but I really do have to think that that's publicly funded. Um, if you know, please let me know. Let's have a look here at the second uh, part here. Greater odds of twins. Ah, here we go. Health Canada, or as the government agency, Health Canada apparently did the right thing in the early 1990s when it refused to allow dairy cows to be injected with a controversial synthetic hormone meant to boost milk and beef production. So there are lots, uh, five times, five times more uh, twins. I think that was right. Five times more twins. Okay, asthma and cataracts. One of the main drugs used for controlling asthma symptoms seems to boost the risk of developing cataracts among older patients, according to a Quebec study. Now, who did this study? I've got to imagine that... Ah, yes, here we go. Montreal's McGill University, the publicly funded, so this is all government stuff. And cancer cookbook, cancer therapy is a powerful appetite suppressant. The medications can cause blah, blah, blah. Group of dietitians from Toronto's Princess Margaret Hospital. And this is, of course, all government stuff. You can order here. Chemical used in water bottles linked to prostate cancer. Researchers in the U.S. have linked exposures to trace amounts of uh, <laughs> bisphenol A, a widely used chemical that leaks from many plastics products to prostate cancer in animal experiments. So this may be private, may be public. I don't know. I'm just doing a scan here. Uh, 60 below, 60% below levels Health Canada considers safe. And I'm just doing a scan here to see if there's any indication. Dr. Lawrence, okay, University of Toronto, leading Canadian prostate expert, so he's publicly funded. Hard to say. We'll give this a maybe. So we've got, I think, two maybes so far. And last but not least, we get to page A22, which is the comment page. And, of course, everything is uh, nothing but um, glee, of course, of the, uh, over the death of this uh, Al-Qaeda fellow. So, Canada, this is the first of the editorials. Canada has to chase bilateral trade deals, so of course, this government stuff. Bucking Hugo Chavez when Peru's president-elect Alan Garcia stepped to the podium on Monday to comment on his election victory. He said the only real loser was someone who doesn't even carry Peruvian identification. So that's all government-to-government -government stuff. The third one here is talk to the hand. In the halls of justice, mighty decisions are being taken by few that will affect the many. So it is that judges turn to time-honored methods of settling disputes. In Orlando, Florida, U.S. District Judge Gregory A. Presnell this week arranged for a round of rock-paper-scissors. Yes, it's true. And so I'm not even going to bother with the letters for the editor. I bet you they're absolutely all uh, to do with the state stuff, but uh, let's not even bother. So here we have all things being equalization. So this is about the equalization stuff, the sort of rolling tides of taxpayer money that flows across this country. Um, Zach brings the Mounties back. Contrast this. A decade ago, our Mounties couldn't even protect 24 Sussex Drive from a knife-wielding weirdo who got right into the Prime Minister's bedroom door with the intention of slitting his throat. And so, uh, today, the same Redcoats have foiled what appears to have been a major terrorist plot. Of course, I guarantee you it won't be because of their incredible sleuthing. It will be because somebody uh, confessed or there was some sort of video or it just sort of fell into their lap. And Rick Saluton, another missed opportunity in this week's national trajectory from panic over homegrown terror to relief and even amusement about the gang that couldn't bomb straight 
There was another opportunity missed. The first opportunity missed was 9-11. It was a chance for Americans and those like us who identify with them to extend their empathy to parts of the world that experience terror far more than we do. Again, this is all about what the government should do or shouldn't do. And then here's a story called Putting a Little Zizou into Life. And you think this is about uh, soccer. And uh, it says it starts, Last Sunday I watched France playing soccer. But of course it turns out to be France's multicultural political approaches to this, that, and the other. Now, the back page of this newspaper is all around social studies and private and obituaries and stuff. So let's not worry about that. But so far, I think you'll get the point. And I will um, not, I think, you can sort of do this for you if you want. I will not bother with the report on business because I think you get the idea that the media is a state media. The media is entirely involved in reporting on the government. And, of course, that is a very easy thing for reporters to do because the government loves to be reported on. I mean, it's sort of what they live for, right? And so the government is constantly, people constantly want to use the media to raise their profile to tell you what a great job they're doing. And the media, of course, is more than happy to phone the government rather than do some sort of real reporting, uh, investigative reporting into the nature or the source of things. And there's lots of reasons for that we can go into another time. But I just sort of wanted to get that point across. Pick up any newspaper that you like. Have a look through the articles and see how many of them are related to the government or with government sources and how many of them are not related to the government. And so far I wasn't able to find a single story here that didn't have at least a partly funded uh, government uh, agency or government source. And of course most of it was directly around government policy. Now of course government policy causes you know millions upon millions of dollars, billions of dollars to flow around the country so it's very important. But it's just important to understand that the media is the outlet for state propaganda. I mean, this is, I mean, this is not something too shocking, I'm sure, and it's not something too surprising. But I think if you sort of look at it, instead of thinking it in a sort of abstract way, like the media is some sort of thing out there, but look at, you know, your local newspaper, look at uh, the, um, the local news, like flip it on, have a look and see how many of the stories have either people from the government as the source or is directly about government policies or involve the police or, or education and so on. How much of it talks about the government and how much of it talks about the non-governmental aspects of society? Now, there's lots of reasons, I mean, trade secrets and companies and so on, but basically the issue is that when people look at society Right, because we don't. Well, I don't. What do I know about society? I don't know anything. I have people that I know. Right, I don't know anything. I know nothing about Canada as a whole. I have people that I know. I have people I do business with, and uh, some friends, and and uh, I guess uh, up until uh, a couple of years ago, some family. But I mean, what do I know about Canada? What do I know about America? Nothing. Right. I mean, it's people that I meet. But then, in the collective sense, right, in the larger sense, there, <laughs> there's a society out there, right? And and how do people get uh, society? Uh, how do they understand it? How do they conceptualize it? Well, they conceptualize it through the media, right? So this is a very important thing to understand for most people who spend any amount of time around the media. And this is not just those who read the New York Times or the Globe and Mail or, you know, whatever, the uh, the Financial Post. These are people uh, who have any access to the media. They flip on the TV, watch some news, and so on. They look at society as the state, right? This is something that's very important to understand. Because everything that's in the media is entirely derived from state sources or to do with state activities, when people think of America or Canada or Scandinavia or Sweden or any of these places, what they think of is the state. The state 
is society. This is a very important thing, and I, I hope to not repeat it too much, but it's just very important to, to understand when you're talking to people about getting rid of the state, they really can't imagine any kind of aggregate collective other than maybe the local corporations or maybe an extended family. They can't think of a society or a country or a civilization or a culture as anything other than the state, because this is how the collective is continually portrayed to them. There is no human collective that exists outside of your immediate knowledge that is not the state, because the only thing that's ever talked about by the media is everything to do with the state. And so why that's important is because people don't understand, because it's such a constant hum, and there's so few exceptions people don't understand that what they think of as society is the state. They don't think of the state as separate. They don't think of the state as separate from society. They think of the, the, the state and society are synonymous. And the reason that that's important is because there's never any mention of state violence, except, you know, the state bombed these bad people who were trying to kill us in, in our self-defense and so on. The state is everyone, the state is society, the state is the collective. Violence is never mentioned in any way, shape, or form. Equalization payments and tax strategies and so on. No, violence is never mentioned. And of course, the only mention you get of the police is almost never in terms of the collecting of taxes from middle-class people, unless they're like evil middle-class people with grow-ups in their basement or something. But it's always, you know, facing down gangs or dealing with biker gangs or dealing with drug dealers, right? So the role of the police in the media is always portrayed as... Uh, defending middle class wasp society usually against uh, people who are problematic, who are way outside the pale of society and so on. And it's never, the role of the police in collecting taxes, of course, is never ever mentioned unless it's like, well, see, they got Al Capone because he didn't pay his income tax, right? As opposed to uh, Al Capone was created through prohibition and then was thrown in jail uh, through a further abuse of power, right? So an abuse of power creates this guy, and then a further abuse of power puts him away. And, you know, somehow we're supposed to feel that, that this is a benevolent situation. But people can't understand what you mean when you say the state. For them, the state is society. It's, again, it's like asking a... a um, uh, a fish, what temperature is the water? And they say today, well, what water? Right? You say the state is violence. They have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, it's important to kind of go a little bit slow with people and sort of get them to understand, sort of instead of sort of taxation is violence right off the bat, just to get them to understand. It's a slow process because this is also propagandistic, right? It's a slow process of unlearning all this nonsense in order to be able to sort of think even remotely clearly because there's two kinds of relationships that people have to the state, right? I mean, this is sort of very broad, but I think you can sort of understand where I'm going with this. And the first is the kind of relationship that people have with the state, which is the direct cover-up. So, you know, in these kinds of newspaper stories, it's always about the government's there to help us, or look how well the government's doing, or look how badly the government's doing, and doesn't it make you mad, but there's never any real question of getting rid of the government. It's just it's taken for granted. It's like aging, you know. Doesn't aging just make you mad sometimes? But nobody says, well, let's repeal aging, right? So the, there's the people involved in the direct cover-up, so the, and they're, they're directly involved in getting information out to people about the state's activities so that those people will have some warning or can profit from it or can in, involve themselves in fruitless debates about the minutia. Like, can you believe this, this judge in Florida reduced something to rock, paper, scissors? It's like, well, at least that's cheap, right? At least it's not going to be stuck in the normal 
expensive labyrinth of state justice, so there's something to be said for that. So it gets people riled up, either positively or negative. It gets them involved in fruitless debates, right? Like, uh, should slaves have more or less freedom rather than should there be slaves at all? And so there's the, there are those people. And then there's everybody else who is involved in pretending that there's no problem, right? So, I mean, if you look at siblings, if you have a, a, a mom who's an alcoholic, right? There's a sibling who directly covers up for the mom's crimes, and then there's a sibling who pretends that there's absolutely nothing wrong and does everything, you know, it goes out and becomes a cheerleader or whatever and does, uh, has a great time, so to speak. And these two sort of roles are replicated in our relationship to the state, in most people's relationship to the state. So there are people who genuinely uh, are interested in the state, interested in political science, but all they do is, is bend over backwards to cover up the crimes of the state. But secondly, there are people like everybody else who never talk about the state. And so uh, this is sort of like everybody else. They just It's not a topic you can ever bring up. Right? So there's those who cover up uh, the crimes that they know are occurring or at least have, have some knowledge of what the state is doing. And then there are those people who... Um, who, who sort of, nothing else is going on, right? So Dr. Phil never talks about politics, and Oprah never really talks about politics other than some vague generalizations. But those people aren't directly involved in covering up the power of the state, but through their omission, they're very much uh, the case that uh, they're distracting everyone by, you know, throwing all this other, uh, all this other stuff that's supposed to be important. You can think of lots of people like this, I'm sure. So I just wanted to give you sort of that uh, understanding that at least I think I have in regards to the media, that the separation between what we call a free media and, you know, what might be called a state-run media, uh, like Pravda in Russia during the sort of Soviet empire, where it's a pure organ of the state, it's very hard for me to find the differentiator uh, between uh, sort of a completely state-run media system and what we have in the West, which is uh, a media system which is either uh, covering up the crimes of the state, which is occurring in the main section and in the business section, and then you have like careers and style and homes and so on, where nothing is ever talked about in terms of the state, and those two aspects, I think, really mess with people's heads and put them in a very strong state of unreality with regards to state power, and I think that's very important to understand. So, I would suggest let pick up a newspaper and go through it. Just sort of check stuff off. You know, is this to do with the state? Read through it, even if it seems like it's something about a, a, a volcanic eruption in Indonesia. Read through it. Is it state sources that people are coming from? Is there state stuff? What are the states? It's always to do with the, with the government, right? This is just, it's an obsession that people can't get away from. And, of course, it's a productive obsession because a lot of people make money from state activities. But go through it. And, and just from the point of view of, you know, sort of, other people, right? What what are they getting? What view are they getting of society? And I think you'll quickly find that when you look at the media, uh, society is the state. The collective is the state. The nation is the state. And, of course, that sort of fascistic kind of unity or unification of concepts is exactly, uh, you know, how uh, fascistic power structures emerge and, and gain control. So it's just kind of important to understand what's out there so you become a bit more literate about the messages that people are receiving through uh, these kinds of state organs of, of the media. So I hope this has been helpful. I uh, will talk to you soon. I had a wonderful donation today. Thank you so much to those who sent some money in. And I will... I guess this is going to be next week because I'm not going to post any of this stuff. It's too uh, time-consuming for my vacation. But uh, if you would like to come by and donate, I really appreciate it. www.freedomainradio.com 
And if you could set up your links with FeedBurner also on the main page, I would really appreciate that too. And we've gone over 130 members on the board. So I'm very pleased with that. And I will talk to you. Oh, I've got a new article published on lourockwell.com, which you can go and find as well. Thanks so much for your time. I will talk to you soon.